2: On News Radio 680 WPTF.
1: And I'm Doug Lewis, certified financial planner.
2: And I'm Deborah Lewis, certified financial planner.
3: And we're here to answer your questions for the next hour.
1: We, you know, we get a lot
3: of questions about when and how someone should start investing. And this is a topical issue because whether or not you're young or just coming to the retirement question late in life, you need to know how to get started.
2: Wasn't there an interesting article, Deborah, that came out? about why I should invest at all? There really was. It said,
3: over the last few years, I've spoken with many people who have never invested in anything. And I think we hear that story infrequently, but we'll hear uh, people say that the reasons vary. Some say it's because of a lack of knowledge or a feeling of intimidation and fear of the economy. All too often we'll hear, I'm young, I'll worry about investing later, or, I'd rather use my money to buy things. Or, I don't have enough money to invest at all.
1: Why bother get started? Yeah, the, uh, unfortunately, the ostrich head in the sand approach isn't the best financial planning. And you realize that when you reach the stage when it's too late to go back and do it. But what many people fail to understand is that if you begin investing early enough, your money will actually work for you due to the value of compounding returns. I'll give you an example. Take a 20-year-old who begins investing with $5,000 at an average 8% annual return. He could have approximately $160,000 by the time he retires. Compare that to a 40-year-old who would only have about $40,000 instead of $160,000 at retirement? Big difference. Big difference. That's the difference of this matter of time and compounding returns.
3: Here's another way of looking at it. Let's say you spend a dollar a day on soda, that comes to $365 a year. Instead of spending your money on soda, why don't you put that $365 into an investment that earns 5% a year? Your $365 investment can grow now to a little more than $460, $470 in those same five years. Now, in 30 years, you'll have saved More than
1: $1,500. With that little $1 a day on With that little
3: $1 a day. So add some zeros, as Linda always says. That's That's
1: the only difference. That's right. Even if you invest conservatively over time, long-term compounding will allow you to reap tens of thousands of dollars in benefits. Simply put, you want to invest in order to create wealth. That's the biggest misconception people have that it won't do anything for you. It creates wealth. So it's a painless activity. The rewards can be long lasting and plentiful for things like retirement and education or savings for future generations. But the common misconception is it's not going to do anything for you. That's wrong.
3: Absolutely. Whatever you decide to do, make your money work for you. Stuffing money under the mattress or putting money in a savings account will not mitigate the impact of inflation over time because of low interest rates. While investing in stocks and mutual funds may introduce your funds to risk, you stand to outpace the rate of inflation until you reach retirement age. Your savings account, on the other hand, It's invested, it isn't invested in anything. Of course, you earn interest on your savings, but Doug, as you say, you're growing broke safely.
1: Your money is safe, but you can't buy the same amount of stuff that you used to be able to buy because it costs more. And unless a family member is leaving you a great deal of money in their will, Social Security and other benefits will not be a great source of retirement income. So... My advice to you is get started in the right direction. Get in the right direction. (laughs) And participate. Participate in whatever's available to you, company retirement plans, IRAs, other 401k retirement plans, especially if companies match the funds. And even if you're new to investing, always think of ways to make your money work for you today. The best advice I can give you is call us at 872-7000.
3: That's eight seven two seven thousand. That's Doug and dot com.
1: We know how it works. We make it work for you. We have and we watched.
3: help you answer. Why should you invest it all? That's because a, your financial future is at stake.
1: That's exactly right, Deborah.
2: Doug, Deborah, what else is new in the world of retirement planning? Well, there's a lot to know about withdrawing
3: from your retirement plans.
1: The ignorance that's out there is shocking, but you're exactly right, Deborah. There's a lot to know about retiring and taking income from your retirement plans.
3: The general rule for tapping a 401k free of the 10% early withdrawal penalty is that you must be at least age 59 and a half.
1: I think most people know that.
3: But as with many rules, there is an exception. Leave your employer in the year you turn 55 or older and Uncle Sam cuts you some slack. The early withdrawal penalty disappears early.
1: Yeah, so let's talk about some of these exceptions to the penalties that people don't really understand. Okay. First of all, you're still going to owe tax on the withdrawal. Let's say you take $100,000 out, then at a 25% tax rate, you're going to pay $25,000 in taxes, yes, but if you're under 59 and a half, you're going to have a $10,000 early withdrawal penalty, which you can avoid.
3: Right. So normally you're going to pay 25000 in tax, $10,000 in penalty, and have that $35,000 cost to withdraw the $100,000, leaving you with 65000 That's right.
1: But if you've left your 401k at your employer, you can avoid that $10,000 penalty. Now, now Doug, yeah. what
3: does it matter how you separate from service? Uh, how does. you leave that
1: employer? Uh, it does and it doesn't. First of all, if you're retiring or being laid off or even getting fired, all of these qualify. No problem there. As long as you're 55, by the end of the year that you leave the job, then the exception rule applies. Okay. If you leave your job in January, however, and turn 55 in December, the 401k payouts anytime during the year are going to be penalty free. All right. Sounds good. However, if you retire in December and turn 55 the next month in January, you're stuck with the penalty that's going to hit you until 59 and a half. Sounds tricky. Sounds like you need to know some things. It is.
3: If you'd like further information, call us at 919-872-7000 or go to our website. Doug and Linda.com.
1: But it's worth knowing these exceptions because you can avoid the penalties that people don't understand. Reaching 55 or older in the year that you leave the job is the key, not simply your 55th birthday. If you left a job at age 50, for example, you cannot tap that 401k penalty free until you reach 59 and a half.
3: Now, let's say you leave an employer at age 55 to work for another company and then depart that job at age 57.
1: Well, you could tap both 401ks penalty-free because you left both companies in the year that you turned 55 or older.
3: Well, this exception is handy for early retirees who need to tap their 401ks for living expenses.
1: It is, but you have to beware that you can blow this break if you roll over your 401k to an IRA. Now that exception doesn't work. Hmm. Once the money's in the IRA... Then that age 59 and a half becomes the earliest date that you can avoid that $10,000 penalty.
3: So you got to balance things, these, both of these things because an IRA has more investment choices than a 401k's limited investment menu.
1: Yeah, and that is a big incentive for many people to, to roll their money from the 401k into the IRA. They have better investment choices. Now, what if you were to split that 401k? Well, you could do that. You could split the 401k to get the best of both worlds. Let's say that you retire at age 55 and there's a million dollars in your 401k and you wanna withdraw $50,000 out per year for the next five years, you could leave 250,000 in the 401k to get that out tax-free, and then you could roll the 750000 into an IRA and take advantage of all the investment choices. And guess what? There's also another exception that we know, which we use for our clients at the office, even for the IRA, called Section 72T. We'll leave that exception for another discussion, but that's why you need to call us.
2: Very good. The numbers to call during the week at the office are... Area code nine one nine eight seven two seven thousand. That's 919-USA-7000.
1: Well, George, how can I help you? This is Doug Lewis.
0: Doug, I have a question about mutual funds. What advantage, if any, is there to be had in buying a load mutual fund? And if there's no advantage, why are there so many of them?
1: The advantage to buying a no-load fund? Is a load fund. Oh, that's real simple. That's like saying, what's the advantage of going ahead and getting a real estate broker to sell my house for me when I can sell it myself? Uh, I thought you were going to ask the other question, what's the advantage of a no-load fund? And well, there
0: isn't either way. I'd I, I like to know the advantages uh, going
1: either all way. All right. Well, uh, first of all, there is no real advantage of you of buying a a no-load fund or a load fund. There is no real difference between them. That's not the way you look at the issue. What you really want to know is what's the performance and how has the fund with its managers done to make money over a length of time? And... Uh, that's all you do. You just go ahead and you find the. If a if a particular set of, of managers can make more money for you than another set of managers, then go with that manager and don't worry about if you had to go ahead and you know and pay a few dollars uh, to find a broker or a planner to put you into that fund. I, you know, don't be penny wise and pound foolish. Depends how long the money's going to be there, too. If you're going to pay a 5% load on a fund and you plan to keep your money there only three years, yeah, then that's wrong. On the other hand, if you're looking for a long, but you shouldn't be in the, mut- in the mutual funds if you could be doing that anyway. Because mutual funds are for long-term investing, at least five years. And over a five-year period... You'll find that five percent walks down to about a half a percent or one percent, and then over a ten-year period, it becomes an infinitesimal amount. The other thing is, most no-load funds have high fees inside the fund. Yeah, right, no, that's what I was saying. Yeah, nobody works for free.
0: So, so really, uh, so really, you you've got to. Just forget about that and make the decision on what your needs are and the quality of the fund.
1: That's right. Look at the managers. Remember, a mutual fund is a group of men's minds who are going into the pit for you on Wall Street, and they're buying and selling stocks, and you're looking at their ability... To select and their long-term performance record or if it's a bond fund it's a group of men who are making their uh, decisions on what bonds to buy and what bonds to sell and so forth that's the whole key to this thing they never see the load that doesn't go to them that goes that goes to the broker or the planner whoever it is uh, that's putting the money with them
0: Do you? Uh, mm-hmm. Do you make recommendations to your clients on which funds to go into? Yes, I do. Okay. Yes,
1: I do. I'd rather not on the you air because I don't like. Yeah, I don't like to step on anybody's feet. Right. But yeah, uh, um, I track as many of the funds that I feel are good. And I guess every planner has their own special ones that they feel comfortable that have done well over a five or ten or twenty year period or whatever.
2: And if there's anything we can do to help you with that, you can call our office here in Raleigh at eight seven two seven thousand, and we'll see what we can do to help you.
1: Well, be in touch. Then. All right, thank you for calling, George. Well, Linda, what's new in the world of investment planning?
2: Well, Doug, a lot of people that have called in, you know, listeners that have called in at the office, have questions about asset allocation. And I think I may have said earlier that a lot of these people have done a wonderful job of accumulating, but now they're concerned about do I have it in the right vehicle and I'm not making enough income off of my CDs or I had one gentleman, he had what, uh, 280,000 NCDs coming to, but he needed more income to pay for nursing home costs for his spouse. Wow. So anyway, you know, that was one of his major questions. What can I do to increase the income because the expense of paying for the nursing home isn't going to go away?
1: The question you're asking is the one of asset allocation. And an asset allocation is a very confused issue Asset allocation, however, in my opinion, is the most important issue in investment planning. And if a person does not have an asset allocation model that they are following, if they do not have an asset allocation philosophy, or if they do not have a planner who has an asset allocation philosophy and model they're following, then they've got real problems. I guess the big question that I always ask people when I look at their portfolio, is say, well, what are you trying to achieve, and, and they say, well, I, I'm, well, I'm very conservative, and so forth, and I look, and it reminds me of a person that's trying to be lukewarm by keeping one foot in a bucket of ice water and one foot in a bucket of, of uh, boiling water, trying to, to be, you know, lukewarm. They have no idea of what they're doing. So let's start at the basics, and let's go over the three methods of asset allocation that are practiced out there today. But first, why don't you give our listeners the numbers that they can call during the week to speak to you. And we can go over this more in depth with their personal situation.
2: The numbers to call during the week at the office are area code nine one nine eight seven two seven thousand. That's nine one nine USA seven thousand. And if after listening to the show, if there's some question that's been on your mind that you need an answer about, I'll be happy to do what I can to help you. And just call the office.
0: All right.
1: Three methods are practiced today. First method is the Single investment, safest investment method. And this is the philosophy that says, let's find the safest investment that we can, the safest type of investment, and put all of our money in it, such as CDs or such as municipal bonds, such as treasuries, such as guaranteed annuities. Okay. That's the single investment safest method type.
2: So looking at the single investment
1: safest type. That's the first method that's practiced. I do not like this method. Why not? Putting all your eggs in one basket? Well, and, and that's, that, that's good, Lynn. But the reason I don't, is I don't know what's the safest investment until it's gone wrong. I can tell you a horror story of every one of those safest investments. Everything looks safe when you go into it, but don't know until it's failed what was wrong. Right. The second method is the one of diversification. Diversification using a weighting, that's W-E-I-G-H-T-I-N-G, giving different weight. The diversification method using the weighting of risk, putting more money in the so-called low-risk investments and less money in the high-risk investments, trying to weight your risk. I do not like this method, even though it's a method of diversification by not putting all your eggs in any one basket. I don't like this method either. Why don't you like it? Because, again, we're trying to allocate what is high risk and what is low risk. And, again, I don't know until something goes wrong. So the things we put the most money into might have been the exact high risk ones. And the ones we put the least money into might have been the low risk. And we might turn out all wrong. The third method is a diversification method also. And this is the uniform unit size method of diversification. And that's the method I like. And in this method here, we give equal weight of risk to each investment and we set a unit size. For example, you mentioned a $200,000 portfolio. Right away, my mind thinks $200,000, $20,000 unit size. Ten of them, right? Ten investments, $20,000 each, and that will spread the risk equally. We won't try and guess which one is going to do better, which is going to be worse. So what you're doing again is spreading your risk. But by picking a uniform unit size. Now, the next thing I want is pools. I prefer not 10 individual investments, I would prefer 10 pools of investments. We are actually spreading our risk now by using the uniform unit size method of asset allocation and picking pooled investments. We are spreading our risk not over 10, but over hundreds of investments. And we're really spreading our money over 10 different managers. And this is the method that I prefer Uniform unit size method of asset allocation.
2: So get your situation analyzed. Work with a financial planner. If you have any other questions, do give us a call at the office. The number is 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000.
1: Now, you know, I'm thinking uh, that we had a client who came in this past week with another interesting story. And that was what we call the RMD story. That's... There is a big penalty there <laughs> if you don't take money out of your yeah. IRA yeah. or your and, 401k. And, and, and this is
3: a dear story because- Isn't this wonderful? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Because well, we're, we were having the annual review- and he jokingly said now that he's early eighties and he had come to us before he'd even started his R M D and he had said, you know, what's really kind of funny about this IRA is
1: Well talk about the R M D first, Debs. Okay. I don't think I don't think many people uh, can quickly sure. grab what is the R M D. Sure.
3: So R M D. stands for Required minimum distribution, and that required minimum distribution is a withdrawal that you much must take from an IRA once you have reached age 70 and a half.
1: So you, we just talked about a penalty for taking money out of an IRA. right. And that was the big problem. Now we're talking about a penalty if you don't take money Correct. out of your IRA. And what and is I've, that? And that and
3: this is the biggest one on the books and all the tax uh, law that's out there. If you do not withdraw, enough Money annually from your IRA because it's untaxed income. There is a fifty percent penalty on that amount that's not withdrawn.
1: So now we got a fifty percent penalty. Right. Okay. All right. <laughs> so
3: there's and a pretty big incentive to take out to the right sure amount. To make
1: sure that you get out the right amount, right. and that right amount is called your required minimum distribution. Okay. You can take
3: out as much as you would like. That's an excess of that.
1: Okay. So, but this client, least, yes. he came to us number of years ago, yep. and when he hit 70 and a half, of yes, course, sir. we helped him establish, establish his required our, minimum mm-hmm. distribution. That's right. So that he wouldn't have this 50% penalty. Correct. And it was about a half million dollars at the time that he set it up. Correct. And now year by year by year by year. Yep. He's taking out the required minimum distribution, which, by the way, is bigger every year usually.
3: (laughs) Well, this is where the chuckle comes in. He made the observation, this IRA should have been, by definition, untaxed income that would be getting smaller, depleting if you were taking out money and having it taxed for
1: the first time. Do you remember his question to me? He said am I right or wrong, Doug, isn't this designed, how do they compute this thing? Isn't it designed in such a way that it's supposed to go down to zero and complete all the way down? That's exactly what he asked. And he said, well, how could mine have started at about a half million, and it's still there at about a half million, and we've taken out... A quarter right. of a million.
3: Right, right. So give us a call at Lewis Financial Management, 919-872-7000. And let us help you create a sensible plan. And this is what you always say. The, the the chicken house or the thing holding the chickens inside of it is a very big distinction. So you you must take out a required minimum amount of chickens from this IRA. But if the chickens themselves, the investments in inside this IRA are growing, getting fatter at a higher rate than the withdrawal, then yes, like many of our clients, the IRA will not deplete, it will maintain. That's right. And this is pretty powerful because in many people's lives, like this gentleman's, it's not needed to live off of.
1: And what did he want to happen at his death to this IRA? If indeed it continues to either hold the same or get bigger, what did he want to happen to it? He
3: wanted this To be inherited by both of his children.
1: So now let's compare it to an annuity. An annuity also has the same 70 and a half provisions. And let's say that you were getting your RMD from your annuity as it is annuitized. Okay. All right. Now, Now what happens? As it's
3: annuitized. That's
1: right. Okay. What happens at death then?
3: Well, you have just disinherited those children.
1: You can, there's nothing left. There's nothing
3: left. To there's give nothing to your left. Heirs. You have
1: just given it all to the insurance company, and there is nothing at all to go to the children or even to your wife. That's correct. So, the beauty of the of knowing how these rules work and the investments inside the IRA. There's nothing that says that they can't be growing faster than the RMD is taking it out. And that's exactly what most of our clients are experiencing. And I believe part of the
2: the beauty or the the, the joy in in this particular client's portfolio is that he had the liquidity factor that he needed in his particular situation. And it, you know, if you Purchase an annuity. You don't have that liquidity factor, right?
1: That's right. That's only once yeah, it you starts give, annuitizing. That's exactly right. You—that's yeah, what you sign. You agree that I will have nothing left at the end if I take the maximum out now to meet my RMD. Then that's the end of the game. Do
2: give us a call at the office. Our number in Raleigh is nine one nine eight seven two seven thousand. Again, that's nine one nine USA seven thousand. And thank you for joining us.
1: Let's take another call, Doug. Wayne, this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can I help you? Hi, I enjoy your program. Good. Um, I'm one of those
4: middle income overtaxed people. Okay. And
1: uh, how old are you? 40. 40 years old?
4: And I don't really have a exact question, but um, I make quite a bit of money. I don't ever seem to be able to save any.
1: What's your income?
4: Around um, low seventy. <clears throat>
1: 70,000, 40 years old, married or single, Wayne?
4: Married, three three children.
1: Married and three kids. All right. We got to find a question if we're going to answer a question, right? Right.
4: <laughs> right. So um, I just don't ever be, seem to be able to save any money, um, don't have any investments, have a little retirement at, at work for a 1K type thing, and just have a – the basic question, I guess, is just – Where do you start to analyze where you're at and where you need to go?
1: All right. That's a real good question. Uh, Actually, the way Linda and I begin is we begin with something called the five keys. Uh, Lynn, you want to identify the five keys real quickly?
2: Exactly. Um, Usually what we do is we get, first of all, your federal and state tax returns.
1: That's key number one.
2: Okay. Then secondly, we get a list of your assets and your liabilities. That's key number two. And I usually include a worksheet in the packet when I send it to people. And the third key would be your income.
1: E number three.
2: And along with the income, we'd look at your withholdings or your quarterly estimates.
1: E number four.
2: And lastly, your living expenses. We e want num- to get some estimated figures as to what you're spending.
1: If, every I, month. if I have those five keys in front of me, Wayne, then what happens is we can get a snapshot of the financial independence feasibility for a client. And this is... Really, what we're after and what you should be after is how to achieve financial independence.
3: This is Deborah Lewis. Call 919-872-7000 to set an appointment with me regarding your financial situation.
1: If you will listen to the carefully to those five keys, the one that seems the most awkward is the one called living expenses. Do you know how much you're spending? Um, everything I make. <laughs> That's a very typical answer. It's not sufficient. I won't accept it. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. In other words, I want to see how much you're spending monthly in groceries, how much you're spending monthly in dry cleaning, how much you're spending and so forth. An interesting uh, um, um, exercise is if you will go through and identify your living expenses, and if you want, call the office during the week, and Linda will send you a package for the five keys. But if you will, on that living expense sheet, go ahead and list all of the expenses that you can identify. And sometimes it means going back to your checkbook for the last three months and finding out what are your recurring monthly expenses. That will be very illustrative to you. Number two, there'll be some expenses, probably a number of them, which are not recurring monthlies. Things like clothing, vacations, charitable gifts, things that don't occur on a regular basis. Well, once we have the expenses listed on paper... Then I go ahead and put the income and find out the delta. Now, the delta should be the difference. Almost always, I find that there is an excess on paper. And it says he's making 70000 He's spending, let's say, 40000 And, of course, we looked at his income taxes, and that's 12000 That means there's 62000 so he's got $8,000 left over. And very often, he says, I don't understand. There's nothing left over. Well... If indeed you have gone ahead and identified all of the expenses on paper, which are important, then anything else is being blown on stuff that's discretionary that you can make a decision about or not a decision. It's not an urgent need. And we start a plan we call a pay yourself first investment plan. If in that case the example was $8,000, I divide it by 12 and I take that mo- amount and have that invested automatically drafted from your checking account into some mutual fund of your choice at the beginning of each month. That forces you to be saving and accumulating for the future. Now, that's one possible story. The other possible story is where they are actually so debt-laden that there isn't any way to come up with anything, even on paper. Then we have to go to the expenses themselves and do budget control and break the expenses down into categories. What you should be doing is putting aside monthly towards accumulation for financial independence feasibility. In other words, you should be planning for the day that you have enough to where you can stop and you can support yourself from your asset base. Okay. Well, I appreciate your
4: time. Let me get your phone number so I can call down and get some further information. Sure.
2: Wayne, that number is 872-7000. 872-7, and if you'll call the office, I'll be happy to send you some information. And probably one thing that you and your wife should do is write down any questions that you have about your situation that you'd like to ask an ad- advisor like Doug, okay? Okay,
1: thanks a lot. All right. Thank thanks. you for calling, Wayne. Bye-bye. You know, Lynn, once I have the five keys in front of me and I can have a quick snapshot of who they are, then it's really easy to see just what the issue is. But I really appreciate someone like Wayne wanting to know, well, how do I begin? And the beginning point is just that, to take a snapshot and see My financial statement, my income, my expenses, cash flow picture, and the tax picture.
3: Exactly. Well, Doug, Linda, there are some steps that people might want to know on how to clarify financial plans.
1: Yeah, you know, first of all, we need to always be keeping it simple. understandable. That's the key. Now, there's no shortage of wealth management advice, but parsing through true, unconflicted advice from marketing is not an easy task. And even figuring out how to assimilate good advice has its own challenges. So there really are, I would say, three steps to framing a plan.
2: Linda, what would be step number one? Well, it's important to identify the personal goals and the amount of wealth that would be needed so that you can achieve your goals. And goals as falling into one of three categories. The first covers your necessities, such as a safety net in case of unemployment or illness. And what would be required to cover the basics, such as shelter um, at an expected level. And we like to think of that as the emergency fund, right? Correct. The second... Covers things that are important, such as your lifestyle or education costs for your children. So those would be your monthly exp- expenses, right? Or those uh, recurring, ta- recurring, monthly, recurring expenses. monthly expenses, like your mortgage. Uh, and then the third category is aspirational. Those are the things that we that our dreams are made of, such as philanthropy, gifting, traveling. Owning a business. All of these things are categories
3: of things that we want to accumulate wealth to cover.
1: Yeah, and that's the first step. The first step is thinking about the goals in the manners that we've just described. That's the most important thing is to start with the goals. And also, this will help us set a minimum floor and uh, and a stretch goal for what you will ultimately need uh, financially. Let's pause for a moment and take a call, or I think Joe's on hold. Let's take Joe's call, and then we'll come back to the this three steps to help clients clarify financial plans. Joe, this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner.
3: Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner.
1: How can we help you this evening? Hi, thank you very much.
3: I would like your opinion
4: on the pros and cons of a fixed index annuity.
1: Yeah, well, there's... um. It's a difficult question to answer the way you put it, but I can tell you a little bit uh, depending on your situation. How old are you, Joe? Uh, 63. You're 63 years old. Are you married or single? Uh, Single. You're single. Okay. And are you still working or are you retired?
4: I am not working, but I'm not retired. <laughs> <laughs> I've been
1: retired by society. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. Uh, do you know what your living expenses are approximately? On average, four thousand a month. Okay, so we got four thousand a month living expenses. And have you accumulated anything through your working years in the way of investments?
4: I have an IRA at two hundred and eighty thousand. All right. And I have unqualified at about one thirty-five
1: thousand. Okay, all right. So we've got one hundred and thirty-five plus two eighty, two eighty, three eighty, four fifteen. All right. So we've got about four hundred fifteen thousand dollars, and your expenses are running around four thousand a month. Right. Now, and one
4: other thing, I do have rental income of a thousand a month.
1: Okay, so that covers. Uh, Twelve thousand another. Well, the one thousand covers one of the four, so he's down to three thousand a month. Is what he's he's shy right Correct. now. All right. <clears throat> well, you have different ways that you can approach this. Let me ask you: Are you a person who has spending problems? What we call people who really have uh, uh, really difficult spending problems.
4: I think what you're saying. Do I spend a lot? Um, no, I'm very. I'm a very good saver.
1: Good, that's what I I, I wanted to know because the one thing about the annuity, it's very good for people that are spendthrifts. An annuity is is a contract between you and an insurance company and the contract says, I, the investor, agree to give you, the insurance company, 100% of my money if you, the insurance company, give me a guaranteed monthly income until I die And I understand, I the investor, that if I die one month after I get my first check, I lose and you keep everything. So that's the definition of an annuity contract. Now we have to add on some other little bells and whistles. We have used those annuity contracts in rare cases, very rare, because It's designed to benefit the insurance company. That's called risk transfer. By definition, every insurance policy is legally risk transfer, and an annuity is an insurance policy. So in this risk transfer, you're transferring the risk of running out of money. And we have used it when we've had a client who says, I've got a son, and I just know he's going to blow any money he gets. I'd like him to have a monthly check, and I don't care what happens to the principal. I don't want anything to go ahead and stop that monthly check. So that's the case that we've used it once or twice in my 33 years. That's when I've used them because I don't like them when the it's like going to Las Vegas. You know the odds are stacked against you. So, when you're dealing with an insurance company, they have designed it to make profit for themselves. They're not a charitable institution, of course. But we can then go ahead and add some bells and whistles on types of annuities, all right? There are index annuities where they say, well, if you want to wait until you start this contract, we can invest the money for you, or you can choose in the following types of investments, and then uh, it will have... These kinds of bells and whistles, right? That's what I'm looking at presently. Right, uh, they are, in my opinion, they are probably one of the worst investments out there. The fees are extraordinarily high, and the uh, the administrators. Actually, there are a number of, uh, of of regulators that are looking at them because they are not very easily understood. If you meet, by the way, do you have a pen and pencil? Write down a pen or pencil. Write down my office number nine one nine. 919 8, 7, 2, 7, right. And I've had a number of clients that have listened to our show and they've come to my office for an appointment and they brought their annuity proposal or their contract with them to see what it is they bought or what it is they're considering buying. And I will show you in the contract and in the prospectus all of the fees and the risks. The fees are extraordinarily high, they're one of the highest fees of any investment out there. Uh, and the risks are not very easily understood. So, my first first reaction is stay away from them. But on the other hand, for certain people, a fixed annuity will work. But that kind of person, before you give it up totally, because you're giving up your principal, you're giving up the right to any of it afterwards, I'd examine what other options are out there. Does that give you enough to get started on it, it does. It does. <laughs> yeah, because as I said, you know, I don't know if you were listening to our show about uh, 20 minutes ago. We talked about a client who had come in uh, about oh, eight or ten years ago. Similar and portfolio he had, size. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he had similar portfolio, about a half million, just like you said. And he had started about eight or ten years ago. And he came back last week. And he was supposed to be annuitizing his IRA portfolio. But it wasn't annuitizing because we didn't do an annuity. We used mutual funds. And instead of it depleting and going down and leaving nothing for his kids or his wife or whomever he wanted it to go to, it was actually holding its own and he will leave it all. So to to take the drastic move of agreeing that the insurance company is going to get everything to me is a last resort. Okay. so if you call my office, uh, Deborah, I think you'll be the one probably picking up the call right uh, That's right yeah Deborah said yes, she'll sir. be the one yeah she'll be the one receiving the call. She'll let you know what our appointment schedule is, what our fees are. We do charge by the hour we give independent um, fiduciary advice and we will show you exactly what's inside and what could work for you.
2: And Joe, any questions that you have regarding your situation, aside, you know, from this, this issue about the annuity, uh, write them down or on the computer or however you want to do it, and, um, and we'll be happy to address those particular questions when you come in. I also wanted to find out, what is the value of the properties that you're getting rent- rental from?
4: It's about 200000
2: 200000 Okay. Well, that's great. And uh, are there any children in the picture? No, no children. Awesome. Well, call us at the office and if uh, you
1: know, if there's no other questions, I think I hope that gives you a good start. Uh, As as Linda said, we want to look at everything. We don't just want to look at one thing. We'll look at your your real estate. We'll look at your living expenses. We'll look at your goals uh, and then we'll let you know what kind of options you've got. And then we'll look at the annuity contract. Did you already buy it or are you thinking of buying one?
4: No, I'm kind of on the last stages of making the decision.
1: Well, before you sign on the contract, because it is irreversible, once you've signed on the contract, it's irreversible. By the way, they also have one of the highest commissions of any investment out there, which is why the regulators are looking at them. Uh, Bring in the proposal. We'll be happy to go through the entire thing with you and show you what are the hidden fees, what are the commissions, and what are the risks and everything, and then you can make your own decision. Very good. I appreciate the help. Thank you very much. You're sure welcome.
2: Thank you, Joe. Have a wonderful
3: week. Thanks to you, too. All right. Thank you for calling. You're listening to Money Matters with Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis. Call to make an appointment with Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner of Lewis Financial Management. Call 919-872-7000 or visit our website. DougAndLinda.com.
1: So we were talking right before Joe's call came in about three steps to help clients clarify their financial plans. And we began by saying that there's no shortage of wealth management advice, but going through and getting the unconflicted advice and separating it from marketing pitches like annuity sales pitches and come join us for a free dinner or whatever it is, that's not so easy. That's right. So we came to three... Steps. Steps. That's right. We covered the first step, which is to identify the goals and the amount of money that you need to achieve those goals. Now, what's the second step, Deborah?
3: All right. You need to focus more on risk allocation than on individual investments, because when creating an asset allocation, you need to ensure all of your existing assets are incorporated in the strategy and assigned to an appropriate goal. The purpose of the asset will be reflected in which category it's assigned signed. For example, essential, necessary, these are different goals and they may include insurance and a
1: home. That's exactly why Linda just asked Joe, what other assets do you have? What about the value of those rental houses?
3: And then we start bringing down assets into two categories. Are these use assets or are these investment assets? Very good.
1: All right. Now, goal setting will provide an estimate of the money needed Once the amount of money needed is known, then that can be a check to see if the goals can be obtained realistically. The investment strategy must then be structured with the current risk allocation, That's uh, whether it's a necessary, an important, or an aspirational, to maximize the trade-offs, for instance, achieving essential goals with high certainty. So this is our second step. Now, what's the third step?
3: Well, once the overall risk allocation is set, it's important to have a clear benchmark that reflects the role of the assets and the mix. Here, rebalancing of portfolios is important. Create customized benchmarks. Know what you're looking for and from when you are choosing managers. Because Doug, as we always say, you're putting your hands, your money in the hands of managers, real people. So if the overall portfolio's goal is 7%, then most likely, you need to choose managers who have track records of seven
1: percent. That's right, and the difference between an annuity approach, where you just buy a product and mm. that's the end of the game, and what we're talking about here is we we need to have an advisor, someone like a certified financial planner, like you are, Deborah, like I am, that's actually staying on top of giving this advice and allocating and rebalancing and checking to see if you're there, if you're coming along on your goal. The key to a successful long-term planning relationship is crafting an understandable strategy that can clearly demonstrate how it's going to help you achieve your goals. That's exactly right. Something measurable.
2: The numbers to call during the week at the office are area code 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000.
1: You know, Deborah, Linda, yes, sir? retirement planning and retirement investing is really all about one thing. And if I had to put it down into one word, I would say discipline. Yes, sir. Discipline. And I
3: think that's the one thing that comes back time after time as keeping that discipline. And what we are often uh, commenting is why many people, my many of our clients have hired us, is keeping that
2: discipline. You know, we've met so many wonderful, wonderful people. And... Most of the folks that we have worked with have been diligently working, taking care of their rental property, such as Joe has, you know, um, and they've exercised discipline. They have exercised discipline over their lifetime, and they they usually do
1: have questions, right? Well, they do have questions, and their questions are very often going to be, how do I put my discipline or desire for discipline into achieving my goals? Because investing used to be so much fun. You love a company's product, you buy the stock, or maybe you saw a recommendation for a stock in the media, you jumped on board. Well, those were the good old days, good, clean fun. But face it, they're gone once you're about five years away from retirement, even more so once you're retired. Spontaneity needs to give way to discipline or else you may eventually find yourself running out of money and you don't want that to happen. That's when retirement can become very, very unpleasant.
3: That's right. That's why retirement investing is so different. It's no longer fun. Now it's a disciplined process. You need to solve... a multitude of questions, and it's all in a world of uncertainty. So many variables are up for grabs. The market, inflation, your health, longevity, unforeseen family responsibilities, the list goes
1: on. So little is actually known. Yeah, you see, essentially, retirement investing comes down to one thing, discipline. As much as possible, you need to have the discipline in managing three Key variables. First variable, your target investment return. Second is the investment risk. And the third variable, the interplay between your cash flow and your spending. And all three
3: demand a disciplined process and nothing less. Give up your best guess mode of operation and grab a spreadsheet. Now you're playing for keeps. Let's briefly talk about a couple of these things.
1: Okay, let's look at those three disciplines, okay, or three variables. First of all, target investment return. Forget the number, quote, quote, the amount that you need to accumulate. Your focus should be on generating a target investment return. Maybe you say, I want 7%, or I want 5%, or I want percent, or I want 6%. You want a target investment return over a full market cycle, let's say five to seven years.
3: Give us a call at Lewis Financial Management, 919-872-7000. All right, what's the first thing you should do, Doug? Well,
1: you start by getting a financial plan. Okay. Then you hire us. (laughs) (laughs) Don't sugarcoat the numbers. Be conservative. After you complete the financial plan, then you work backwards to determine the asset allocation needed to generate that target return. And in this endeavor... The disciplines here are threefold. All right, so we got three things. Create and annually update the financial
3: plan, determine and maintain your asset allocation, and exercise the discipline to actually generate the target return over a lifetime of market cycles. And
2: these
1: are principles
2: with the College of Financial
1: Planning, right? That's exactly what they are, Linda. Discipline is, is the whole key. That is what we have key. learned over these years. Now we can go to risk, investment risk.
2: So when you were young risk wasn't such a concern, but you could always make a comeback. Now that you're near retirement or already there, managing risk definitely becomes paramount. It's too difficult to come back from a major loss. And when you're taking withdrawals from a portfolio that has declined in value, the negative impact is compounded. That's why it is so important to manage downside
1: risk. So, you can have that kind of risk with your investments, but at the same time, you also face the risk of being too conservative, which might keep you from reaching your target return. As you can see, for example, if you say my target return is... 8%, and I want all my money in CDs. uh, (laughs) Guess what? Right. (laughs) It's not going to work. Right. Uh, As you can see, retirement investing is a tightrope walk that demands a highly disciplined investment process, which can succeed in markets cycle after cycle through your entire lifetime. And then, given the need for consistency, a disciplined approach is definitely worth considering.
3: Now, what about the interplay between cash flow and spending?
1: That was the third area, yes. Meeting a long-term target return to generate the cash flow you need is challenging enough. But suppose we raise the degree of difficulty by adding in the discipline of maintaining a level of spending that fits within your cash flow stream. The interplay between your cash flow and your spending is another difficult balancing act, demanding discipline on both levels. But the good news is that spending is the one lever that you can control. You determine a cash flow stream that can produce, that you can produce constantly, consistently, and set up a spending goal that fits comfortably within it. We do that for our clients. We just worked with all of our clients to adjust their living expenses to equal their guaranteed income and their predictable income from their investments. And then we're letting them go ahead and do something else with regard to the uh, discretionary income items. But we're solving for this whole multivariable equation. It may be the greatest financial challenge that you face in life especially now with today's low interest rates.
3: That's right. Don't trust these decisions to chance. Hire the right advisor. Give us a call at Lewis Financial Management, 919-872-7000. And let us help you create a sensible plan and execute it consistently because a disciplined process will go a long way toward giving you peace of mind and enjoyable retirement.
2: And this is what we've heard from so many of our clients isn't that right linda in the last few decades yes indeed
1: you know everybody knows somewhere along the way there's got to be discipline we have two types two types of clients that have come to us those that are already I'll use the term loosely, addicted to discipline. They liked <laughs> Right. Uh-huh. They
2: just have great
1: habits. Right. All right. And they've looked for some way to apply this personality trait of theirs to the world of investing and financial independence feasibility. That's yes, one type indeed. of client. Mm-hmm. Then we have the others that say, I could never have any disciplines. I need somebody to help me get these disciplines in place and stay on top of it and watch it for me so that I can just have the peace of mind to do what I want to do. I'm thinking of those wonderful clients of ours that just float around on that sailboat of theirs and they go down to Costa Rica and they will periodically call us back and say, how's everything doing? Is everything on target? Right,
3: right, (laughs) right. And it it, it doesn't take the client having to have a certain, it takes them hiring the right planner or someone to be with them every step of the process.
1: I think that's why people like us a lot, because we are disciplined. Yes. We definitely have discipline in every aspect of Lewis Financial Management. Discipline is the number one uh, benchmark that I have in every aspect of our company. I think clients recognize that.
2: That's true. There, there are definitely principles that have been set forth by the College of Financial Planning and we have implemented those traditional principles in every aspect of financial planning that we provide for all of our clients. And it doesn't matter if you're just starting out. Maybe you're a college graduate and you just have gotten your first job and you need to make a decision. Should I participate in my company's 401k? And what are the choices I should make about what's in the portfolio? But there again, you may have been working for years and maybe you've just been downsized from your company.
1: That's exactly right Linda. You have questions and we have answers and we can help you. You have to remember that it's your future. Now by the way, when you call to schedule an appointment this week and do write the number down, the number is 919
3: 919- 872 That's 919 872
1: We will be giving you one of three free books either
3: The Wealthy Barber The Middle Class Millionaire or Simple Wealth Inevitable Wealth
1: And of course remember our website DougAndLinda.com That's DougAndLinda.com Make sure you go there and we're looking forward to meeting with you. You have to always remember Your money matters because your financial future is at stake.